0: Welcome to Running Out of Space, a podcast about collectors, their collections, and how they make room for it all in their lives. My name is Adam Grabarnik, and I've been a collector since I was a child. It began with stickers, which led to comics, which led to toys, sneakers, posters, pins, wine, and on and on and on. Taking a wide-angle view of my obsession for ownership, I've come to see how my collections have become intertwined with my personality and sense of identity. Speaking with other collectors on the internet and in real life, I've come to see that I'm not alone. The Running Out of Space podcast is a celebration of the spirit that unites all collectors. Because it doesn't matter if you collect paintings, watches, stamps, cars, guitars, or Barbie dolls, there is a common component within the collector themselves that transcends the object collected. Though the trophies may be different the hunters are more similar than they know my guest today is carl kent smith who i met online nearly 20 years ago on skullbrain.org a message board devoted solely to japanese and asian vinyl toys hosted by brian Flynn's super 7 way before his ultimates and reaction figure dynasty this was a tight-knit community of eccentric collectors in a tiny corner of the internet. Skullbrain was hyper-focused on the stuff coming out of the underground vinyl toy scene in Asia, from Secret Base, Real Head, Gargamel, and Bounty Hunter. This was a true subculture in its purest form. Before discovering the Skullbrain community, I was pressing my luck on eBay, getting ripped off. And falling victim to fakes. Finally, I had found my people in a very cool way. And now that those golden years of message boards are long gone and the vinyl toy market has gone mainstream, I realize that I haven't felt so in tune with an online community since. To see selects of my guests' collections, follow the show's Instagram at Running Out of Space Podcast. And now welcome to the show, Carl Kent Smith. Let's start this back in like 2005, maybe 2006. I was um, big on the Kid Robot message board, and I was very active on that. Now at the time, I was really only collecting Bounty Hunter and Michael Lau toys, Um, but I was still very active on Kid Robot um but i wasn't into dunnies or any of the stuff that kid robot put out um and along the way a fellow messaged me on that board and invited me to another message board where it was more about um hardcore japanese toys vinyl figures was it
1: wasn't isaac ramos was it who messaged it, you
0: it absolutely was and yeah. uh, that message board was skullbrain on that board i came across people who were uh, a, a different breed of collectors. It was more about the smaller niche vinyl toys uh, that I learned to, that were called fight figures. Um, and it was very um, attuned to two companies in particular. Well, you had Bounty Hunter, um, who were arguably the OGs of the, you know, the new vinyl wave, starting with Kid Hunter, um, which is kind of where around I picked up on stuff, Um, but you also had people who were into the vintage uh, Japanese and Asian vinyl stuff. But you also had a different breed of collector that collected um, uh, from a company called Secret Base and Real Head. And I had never heard of these companies before, but I was so interested in it because they were small run. They They weren't based on any properties and they had a sort of punk rock ethos to the manufacturing and the aesthetic, it was a very DIY kind of scene, which attracted me immediately. And the, the collectors that were <clears throat> on this board, Skullbrain, were, that they had a different taste level when it came to toys. Now, this was way before Funko Pop stuff, way before you could, every, everything had a toy for it. Um, and it was really focused on the art and the, eccentricity, I would say, of the characters. Um, Now, what I'm getting at is one of the people that I noticed immediately who was very active and very supportive, but also very um, knowledgeable of the scene was a fellow with the handle, Mutton is my friend.
1: (laughs) Not how it's pronounced.
0: (laughs) How was it pronounced?
1: That's funny. It would be Mutton if it was M-U-T-T, but it's Muton
0: muton is so i've had it i've had it wrong for all this time huh
1: yeah but if you know where that comes from then you'll know why it's pronounced muton
0: okay so break me off so for the for the audience for the listeners that was you carl and um you were very active on the board and you were very um you you knew a lot about the scene and i felt like i had just fallen into just this wonderful wellspring of like-minded individuals and I was sucked in and from then on my my handle was cornbluth and I was very active on that board from about 2005 till maybe 2009 um and I really learned a lot about um the toy makers in Asia um it's where I bought some of my first cause pieces before while when they were still affordable and um you were, didn't at one point you even had a chat room devoted solely on your own merit, right? You had your own room within the Skull Brain message board, right?
1: <laughs> I think it's still there, but I don't go on. But it was designed when they decided to um, make separate areas in the board for the different scenes. Yeah. And um, this might be hotly contested by, I know at least one person, but uh, there is the LA Skull Crew, mm-hmm. LASK which um, I had a hand in, and I think I came up with the idea. Well, I know I came up with the idea of Skull crews, though another chap on there really ran with it and created merch and things like that. And then there was this like fake rivalry between people, like there was a Boston area, not Boston, uh, Bay Area Skull Crew Basque, Okay. And then, uh, other other areas. So there was five areas on there. It's probably still there, but I'm not I'm not active on that board at all, virtually. Was there toy beef? Reasons.
0: I mean, I know there were people that like to kind of
1: start. Yeah. No, there was fake beef. There was just fake beef, you know, like rival school stuff. Yeah. Um, now, can you take me through that time for you? Sure. I was uh, in LA, and um, I'd moved here from London in '98. And one of the first places I discovered was Meltdown Comics and Toys, uh, which uh, is still, well, I was about to say it's still there. No, it's gone in the last couple of years. RIP. Yeah, indeed. Um, and they had a smaller store across the street on Sunset. And I think the first time I went in there, it was like super cool because Brian May was in there mm. talking to Star Wars figures and things like that. So, you know, and that there was, was no one Bar- else in there.
0: Was that Barracuda, is that what that was?
1: No, 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 that's a totally different place. Oh, okay. But I'm talking about um, Meltdown when it was on the other side of the street. So go yeah, in that, there. And... That wasn't
0: called Barracuda, that was called something else, huh?
1: There was a Barracuda store as well, that was on Melrose.
0: Yeah, right, right. but the store across from Melt, from Meltdown, which I, I went to Meltdown a lot, it was very influential for me as yeah, well. Yeah, the
1: store across from there was called Span of Sunset.
0: Right, Span, that's right, thank you. But that
1: location used to be Meltdown's original location. And like in a much smaller space. Span too, right? yeah yeah though that, that was a secret must no. Almost no. <laughs> what we do is secret
0: right there you go
1: um you will see that all over the place so uh, i went in there and i think around like that time kubrick's had just come out in japan and i saw my first kubrick's in uh there so they were kind of ahead of the game and now gaston knows certain people in japan and was kind of fully forward on that stuff so i, I saw those there um, and to give you the full story here to tie it into the time period you're asking about I have to go back a little bit so uh, if we go back to 1975 in northern England a place I was ill-suited to uh, fit in <laughs> for various reasons you know real men are men there uh-huh. people don't cry and shit like that so uh, there were I saw some kids in the playground there. actually the school kind of bullies who had a bit more money and lived in a big house i don't know there were two of them they seemed inseparable um they had these really cool toys and um i was just super taken with them uh, and i uh, had to find out more about them and the good guy toy was called cyborg and the evil guy was called muton And hence, Muton is my friend because he did become my friend. And my current name on Instagram is Clear with Guts. And these toys were the first ones I saw, which had clear outer shells. And inside, they had either the good guy Cyborg had um, metallic machinery, and the bad guy Muton had twisted gnarled guts. Now, those two toys, and especially the latter, Muton, became a huge influence for all the stuff that you were seeing in this niche area, like Secret Base and things like that. So I had loved those toys around that time and I had to save up a ton of money to buy them because uh, we didn't have much money when I was growing up. And uh, I had to save a lot. They were like, I remember this. And I've said this on other publications. So if anyone's listened to this, they might have heard it before, but two pounds 20 was a lot in 1975. And I had to save that up, um, I had to save it up twice. And, and my darling brother made it even worse because he told me that the only toy store in town that Uh, had them which I knew he told me that the guy in there was a child molester and if I went in there I would be sexually assaulted and when you're about um, 11 because you're kind of vaguely aware of that I mean remember this was a long time ago but it didn't sound very pleasant and so it scared the life out of me but I really wanted those toys so I still went in there but I was all weird and shaky and the guy must have thought my god what's wrong with this kid anyway I got the first one and I managed to get the second and I kept these and my parents kept them over multiple moves, because they know how precious they were to me. And the interesting thing about them is they were like, uh, they had various components, you could build in and out, they were eight inch tall, like a Amigo size, they were clear, and you could screw the legs off. So the body shape was very similar to GI Joe or action men, as we call them in England. So the reason I mentioned all this is because um, around, you know, uh, 2000 or so, it, or in 2001, I discovered Michael Lau too, like you did, and all these designer toys that were coming out. And Kid Robot opened, I guess, around 2003 or so. And you could get stuff like that through them. You get some really cool stuff, and not just the stuff we're more used to now, like they have dunnies and plushies and things, that aren't quite as interesting. Though at the time, I did like the first dunny run, and a lot of people who collect what we're talking about here like that too, though they may be slow to admit it. Um, so I, I'm looking on the internet, and I f- find around ninety-eight, ninety-nine that um, there are toys that look very similar to the toys I had when I was a kid. That I still have in an attic in London, and um, I through that I find that there are a lot of. I keep coming across these mutated versions because I'm now looking on Yahoo Japan auction sites and trying to buy up the Japanese equivalents, and doesn't seem much info on them. So I'm, you know, getting. Things that I didn't know existed. And they actually turned out to be 12 inch tall, like full GI Joe size. It turns out the English ones were licensed by Dennis Fisher, made in Hong Kong, as opposed to the Japanese ones made in Japan. And they were um, licensed for the English market. And I found out later that they took the head from the cyborg the head, looked a little bit big, but they kind of modeled the head a little bit on something called shonen cyborg, which was young cyborg. So in in Japan, he was called Henshin Cyborg, Transformation Cyborg, because he could transform. And he was just called Cyborg. And they had great comic stories on the outside painted. I can't remember who the artist is. But later, the Japanese company, Medicom, kind of borrowed the art and some of the wording and totally used it verbatim. But then they missed off some words at the end, so it made no sense. <laughs> ask me why. Um, So I discovered things like Secret Base, because the guy who ran Secret Base, Hiddy, was really into that, and um, I started communicating with him in about 2004, and I got a few pieces, and I got a few Gargamel pieces, because uh, there was a great little store in San Francisco called Something Punch. I don't know if you remember i got my first fight figure i think it was a gargamel figure my oh. first secret base figure was a skull wing designed by Pusshead mm-hmm. that i got off ebay that i bought from one brian flynn <laughs> on ebay and um uh,
0: brian flynn now so, was super seven established by then brian flynn is the the owner of secret the owner and yeah i, th- I think it 7. i think
1: it was But again, Gaston said, hey, you should check out this magazine. You might like it. Mm -hmm. And he had the first issue of the Super 7 magazine. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I did. And um, uh, so that started that kind of trail. And back then, um, I should get to the full story. So I collected all these henshin cyborgs. I'd met Japanese people through this talking online. I actually went to Japan in 2005 with some friends who were not into this scene, but they were collectors. You know, they'd like horror and stuff like that and um we went and we took ages to try and find the secret base store because of the address system there and we went and i went back about five times to meet hidi because we were going to trade i was going to trade in the english versions the japan japanese versions and we did just that with a translator on the phone who was who was busy at her office job it was quite amusing she's like please hurry please hurry i am at work (laughs) so did a, a bunch of Trading then, Hiddy was very gracious and I got a really, I think I got the, a great end of the deal there and all the stuff in the Secret Base store, like when you went there, was not for sale because it was all sold out. Yeah. There were only very few things for sale, which is kind of odd for an American or a European going there. because like, why is this here? You know, why do you have a store? But um, I, I got some good things and it, it, we also traded for some of his toys, which were previously sold out. So I've got a bunch of more fight figures for my collection. And you can see the Muton, uh, which is actually King Walder in the Japanese version, is clear purple with guts. And you can see those on some of the early skull brains. so just yes. like clear purple and, and stuff like that. And they didn't have the guts per se, but later people did add guts and things like that. So this all is a long way around because there was a lot of info there, but it, it, I wanted at Meltdown Toys and Comics, they would do something called Battle of the Collections. It was a cool way for just people to display in a couple of giant showcases something they collected that was interesting and um i did a hench and cyborg battle of the collections and it was actually gaston who put me he said oh you might like this guy he's works on this big tabloid art zine uh, called Isaac ramos and um i got in touch with isaac and i met him for the first time when we opened that big collection display of like an art opening in a way, I invited people, we didn't have like 12 people come on the opening night, but it was kind of cool. And I met Isaac for the first time. And I knew we were kind of like minded, because I asked him to design a poster for the show, because he was, you know, he's a graphic artist, stuff like that, design guy, and he I described it to him on the phone and what he came up with was perfect it was exactly what i wanted though so we ripped off a couple of photographs we didn't rip them off we asked for permission we made t-shirts and um that's when isaac started uh, we did the t-shirts from that and they had little loops you know like rfso real fan only that was his thing uh-huh. and it was all around that time that we were chatting a lot and he was talking about starting this message board and I'd never really been on message boards. And so he started up skull brain and we were talking back and forth. I mean, it was a hundred percent his idea. Cause he, you know, he was, he's really into doing things and making things happen. And uh, he got that up. And um, if you look, it was all around October, 2005.
0: Was it, did I have the, did I have the year, right? 2005? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. It was October,
1: 2005 and i think i joined a couple of weeks after it started even though i knew he was starting it weeks before um but i was lazy and it was a mass exodus yes. or from kid robot boards right so it was all the people who liked the stuff who were chatting on kid robot but didn't really you, there was the occasional mention i remember isaac teased around halloween that year that there's a figure like it was a pumpkin brain in glow with red paint on it which um he'd got from span of sunset but he wouldn't tell anyone where it's from he said you're all going to be able to get one you know it's here in LA and and it was pretty exciting and it was like our little gang right we all moved over there and and we knew about stuff and it was beautiful at, certainly at the beginning because everyone was friendly and experiencing new things and learning new things and we were all about sharing it later changed into something where it was like Shh, don't tell anyone people are watching this board and they'll find out about the toys for i do and they limited. And, and it became a bit of a paranoid atmosphere. Um, there was a certain bluntness to it as well, which was like, there were all these rules. Um, I think probably people in the hardcore scene are familiar with certain rules, but you know, rules about what you should and shouldn't do. Like, you know, die hard, never sell another thing from Isaac.
0: That's right, there um, you go.
1: <laughs> I have a t-shirt, die hard, never sell. Now everyone, I think I've managed that to some extent, but I'm always paranoid about selling anything. That's why I'm running out of space. There you go. Oof, where was I? Hardcore oh, you rules, die, uh, <laughs> yeah. die hard, die never, hard sell. never sell. Yeah, um, just rules that um, some people took a little too literally a bit later. And also there was a certain amount of hypocrisy going on there um, with regards to, you know, saying one thing and doing another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it felt like the hazing got a bit too hard for me. And having some people are going to laugh at this and some people who have never been through this but if you got the shit kicked out of you at school and bullied for no good reason um, you either become one of those people who does that or you become someone who's vehemently against it and I just found that some of the stuff a little bit the hazing was too much Um and I kind of got it would give me stress in some cases to read some of the stuff that was going on. I kind of voted with my feet and spent much less time there, which I think is a healthy thing to do if it's causing you some stress. Um, So yeah, it was a great idea. I think it's um, I don't know what it's like in the modern day. I really I guess it's been about the last seven years I've been on it much less. But it was certainly a good resource. But you have to be careful what you say and you still do. You know, you come on, you post a want list for something really cool and expensive. And people are going to pile on you
0: because that's what happened
1: to them right but um i tried to be a bit more welcoming and um <laughs> i remember a few years ago reading something that was posted online about from two guys who are um one of them has his own toy company now out in new mexico i mean it's a small operation but it's cool and um and another guy said the same thing like they joined the board they were getting shit from people and feeling pretty crappy about it and then I gave him some talk and and was welcoming and I think that was a good thing to do because they're still in the toy scene and doing more than I'm doing in it so they I stayed like around
0: you, I feel like you were the uh a voice of positivity in it I feel yeah like... I tried
1: I tried to be because there was a lot of that you know I don't know why people if they're so unhappy with shit then why are you involved in it yeah so, it,
0: it was it, it you know it rings very true. It was a scene. It was uh, tightly knit. It was a, a, a lot of enthusiastic people who loved seeing other people's pickups. Uh, and then it just started getting bigger and bigger. And I feel like just, a, it got started getting a lot of attention. It started getting in vogue. And then you had a lot of people coming in um, and kind of not respecting, this sounds so silly to say out loud because it's a message board and it's totally public. So but to say like, it was, it was kind of like, their ethos of what it meant to be a collector was starting to clash with the people that were kind of the ones who established the board and things just kind of got so much attention that it reached this critical mass and then it blew up and then it it wasn't really you didn't know who these people were anymore like for a while it was you know you recognize names if you were there a lot um but after a while it just got so big that you didn't know who was who and it was just like a name on a on the yeah it
1: was it it was originally people everyone knew everyone else and it meant that people kind of behaved really well with each other and there were definitely some people who came in who were dicks and rightly so were they told that but i think i'm always believed in innocent until proven guilty but it became guilty until proven innocent yeah Um, and hey People, some people are going to see this go, what a worse. I was called a hippie, not because of the long hair, but because of my peace and love attitude. I don't think hippies were into that really. No, it was good. The, hippies I'm, the hippies I met during Grateful Dead, a Grateful Dead show I went to were most unpleasant. So I'm not going to associate exactly it with that. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wouldn't even take a photo of me and my girl. It was sucky. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: You know, it's funny because this was before Facebook, even. Right? Message boards like aren't really a thing anymore unless you have like a question you need to ask on like, you know Well, like...
1: there's Discord now, right? People are really going into that. It's just like they a are, huh?
0: I have not delved much into Discord. Is that a thing?
1: Yeah, one of the oh, it's funny, one of the guys on Skullbrain who got a lot of hassle. He was an early adopter too. Mm-hmm. Um uh Rich Montanari Jr. Okay. Um you remember his name? I don't. Maybe Lash? yes of course you remember lash right yes i do he used to get a lot of shit from people because he customized toys aka toy ruiner yes yes right so people got shit for that right and a little bit of it was valid because there are toys which you can't really find now because they were stripped and customized um but some people got it more than others and uh i mean you know rich became mutant vinyl hardcore and Uh in this this scene, he's one of the biggest names. Um, and in American vinyl, um, you know, there's him, Paul Kaiju, mm-hmm. Splur. Um, but Rich has got a Discord board, which is why I mention it. But it's a bit like going back to the old days of Skullbone. Everyone who is a collector is of his stuff was invited to that. Oh, yeah. I personally don't have enough time to engage in that or anything else. The older you get, it seems that. Yeah, you just don't have time to do this. But um... I,
0: uh, I kind of got soured on on that scene, um, and it kind of heartbroken the first time that Pusshead was doing a signing at Comic Con, and um, I saw uh, there was a, there was a meetup, and I met some people that were on the board, and I remember being online, and I remember seeing some of the guys who I had been introduced to from the board, and they were talking about how they weren't even interested in the toys, they didn't even like them, but they were going to buy them to resell. And these guys were right ahead of me online. They were like two or three spaces ahead. And I was there to buy, I was a fan of Pushead. Um, I was there to buy and have in my collection. And as soon as I saw that, uh, I just realized like, no, like these guys talk, a lot of these guys, like they're fake online, you know, they're, and they're just going to go around and and just uh, and I, I learned the term "flipper" from being on Skullbrain too. That kind of soured me on the scene, not completely, but just kind of opened up my eyes to, like, you know, what a lot of these people are are posing online, and
1: so this was people who who have a had a good rep online, but in reality were actually just turning their toys around. Correct. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know about that, but yeah, I mean, that definitely happens. Um, I mean, if I, I don't know how into the scene. You are now, but man, it has turned inside out. It's changed into something that we could have never seen coming.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't actually I'll I still collect cause. Um I haven't collected I haven't really been excited about it, to tell you the truth. Um I still have my stuff. Like I haven't sold, like I still have a lot of the, my my bounty hunter stuff, I have all of my cause stuff, I have I still have my Michael Lau stuff. I love Michael Lau. Um I have some Gargamel stuff. I have the, the, that nag toy. I have one of those, which caused the whole which, thing. Which one? I have the one that um, Coop did, the red one with the blue hair.
1: Oh, the clear red. Lovely, Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Great think, toys. Um, yeah, no, it is, it is. Um, Coop actually saw his first nag in real life at my place.
0: Are those, are, are like Secret Base even a thing anymore? Is Secret Base everything?
1: Secret Base kind of moved away from Fight Figures into um, much more kind of licensed things where they have a kind of Clear With Cups thing going on, you know, with an internal skeleton. And they do a lot of, like, Felix the Cat, like original version, many different versions. And then Split, where you can see a skeleton inside him. Um, The MC Supersize Me, you know, Ron English's uh, anti-tribute to Ronald McDonald. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Um, Canagon classic. You know, Japanese Monster, um, other other toys like that. Some really good. Oh, you got the right think license too. They're, those are pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I feel like most of the, the toy companies kind of have done that, especially like Super 7 have gotten into like the licensing game. And I guess that was kind of a move to stay alive maybe?
1: Um, yeah. I I, I don't know. Well, I haven't really taught them much lately, but I know they had big love for things like Mass of the Universe. Uh-huh. And um And I think they are probably able to stay alive for various reasons because without selling a lot, but now I think they're probably selling a huge amount, you know, with all the licenses they've got. They're
0: doing a great job. All the stuff that Super 7 puts out is fantastic.
1: It doesn't appeal to me as much as some of the earlier stuff they did, but um, on the other hand, it does appeal to me a lot, but I just can't start buying that stuff because it's a really slippery slope.
0: Yes, once you dive in, you can't go down. down. (laughs) Yes one of the things
1: toys always look better in twos threes or tens yes they do
0: now one of the things I remember about you was that you were one of the people on the board that actually bought a cause five foot for retail (laughs) yes do you still have it
1: um well it's funny the first the only cause five foot I bought for retail was like it was there for a whole day on the site. Yes. It was the first one he did. Yes. And I bought it. I think it was $2,000.
0: Something like that. Yeah. It was
1: pretty cheap. I mean, now at the time, it seemed like a mammoth amount. Yes, it did. And when I went to Japan in 2007, I, I took me and my husband and um, I sold it to fund that trip. Uh-huh. But it didn't sell for like they do now. It sold for a lot more it didn't sell for a, a lot more it sold for like you know probably like about 75 percent more something like that and it was a pain to ship it yeah and i since heard that those ones didn't have the metal armature and would go Bloop. oh so, really they were they kind but, of that's a related. rumor i heard yeah um oh. anyway i sold that but what's funny is i saw cause three times on that trip to japan twice walking around harajuku and once i was introduced to him at a party yeah and uh I really wanted to say hey cause thanks you're selling your toy fund in my trip. Yeah. But knowing what I do now I'm glad I didn't say that and um, but it was ironic. Yeah. But I, I still mean, have all the others.
0: <laughs> I could see and this was before he his you know painting career took off into the fine art world when he was you know a lot of the stuff. Oh that, that first
1: cause stuff I bought like um, the Chompers Bear Bricks sat on Zaka Corp was it? Yeah. For six months. Yeah. With the thousand percent. No one was, you know, it was there for months and months and months. And when the five year latest came out, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's $120. So I bought one. Yes. Seen the most expensive toy ever. And I finally got the others. Um and the first ones, you know, that he did with uh Bounty Hunter. No, not the bounty hunter ones. It's like hectic. um it's like three six um mad hectic uh but it's that guy, uh, what's his name? Jaquan. Uh, Jaquan from, had that store in New York. Um, Toy Tokyo? No, no. I can't remember the name now, but um, he was to do with it. Anyway, those first ones were to do with the spindly legs.
0: Yeah, that wasn't Bounty Hunter?
1: That wasn't like... Nope. Oh, okay. nope. No, Oh no, no. Those ones were sat around in Meltdown for the longest time. And I used to look at them. They were over $100 and go, God, who'd pay $100? Yes. Like for that. And they were just around on all their counters.
0: Yes. I remember oh when I lived in New York, <laughs> I discovered Toy Tokyo and I walk in and it's my first time I saw Michael Lau Toys. And I'm like, a hundred dollars? That's insane. That that's absolutely ridiculous. Actually, before, I went
1: to a Michael Lau never did shows in the US for the longest time. Then he did one at Barracuda, um, in about maybe 2010. And I went to it with Lev from Toy Tokyo. Cool. Had a really good time. And Basically, it was a Nike SB thing that night. And they released a toy that was uh, a shoe that looked like wood. Uh-huh. But it was, was it a Janowski they released that night? Anyway, it was a lottery. I got one. You, you got a giant Michael Lau spray can toy with it.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah he's he, he broke the mold, huh? Michael Lau was like ahead of the curve big time, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember being so lucky being in London. Uh, To see my family, and then I—he had a show at Maharishi while I was there, and I went, and he was there, and it was just a super great hangout. And I bought his shoe toy. I bought the Clockwork Orange shoe.
0: Yeah. Do you still? Are you still active? Do you still buy vinyl, vinyl toys? That is hugely, yeah. You do?
1: Yeah, massively. Yeah, I've got no space. What do you do? You can't see the. (laughs) It's a mess right now. Uh, and I, I think I told you this, I recently lost my husband after 26 years. And in that time, I was not opening anything I'd ordered and stuff was pre ordered I have a pile to the ceiling of boxes of things. And then to kind of help with the pain, I would buy stuff yeah. and order it. And I've never opened it to this day. And not just toys, I don't have a record plan I start collecting. Vinyl.
0: <laughs> yeah. A lot of people just, like the the record, vinyl record um, scene exploded during COVID. Are you a guy who yeah, buys like, like the, all the splatter paint and all the different color variants of records?
1: Yeah, I just ordered three different versions of um, group sex by the Circle Jerks.
0: <laughs> you are in deep. You are you're you're yeah. a collector. You've you always have been, huh? But no matter what it is. You have that. That yeah. When I was a
1: kid, I collected comics, and uh, Mm -hmm. so um, yeah, I got a lot of stuff that's unopened. Look, just go over there; you can see the other sofa covered in unopened boxes. Uh
0: Oh, and you have original art too. Is that some Ron English stuff?
1: Yeah, that's Ron English paintings I bought before he exploded. So big. Is that who that is behind you? A Flores? Yeah. Wow! Look at you. Oh, you'd never believe. That one, like, I have no idea how much those really go for, but it's, he did the toy, the same toy for Medicom, you know, uh-huh. like the stained glass style Mickey. But um, I saw that on eBay a few years ago and <laughs> the guy I bought it off said, yeah, not into this anymore. I collect more fine art like Basquiat. I was like, okay. I met him in a parking lot in Santa Monica and I got that off him for like 200 bucks. Really? Yeah, and it's, it's like massive. So, would, I got a good deal.
0: Would you say that um, your PMA has contributed to a lot of the scores that you've been able to acquire?
1: I'm not a hardcore guy, but I do know what PMA is, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, it's like in my job, I'm not a huge fan of networking because I just want to get the job done and I don't want to do the schmooze stuff. But with toys, I'm so excited about it that made a lot of, you know, positive connections with people, because I think I'm I'm genuinely excited about it and I'm not buying it for the wrong reasons. No. And I try not to blow smoke too much. So when I say I really like something, it's, I really like it. Yeah. So if that's what we mean by positive mental attitude, then I would say yes. Yeah. I'm just really excited about it. And I have been for years now, so um, Still excited, but I've seen a lot of the people who I just knew it was coming. You know, you can kind of I can see through them anyway. They're like, oh yeah, I'm really into this. Or, yeah, it's the biggest thing. And they're like, they're busy schooling me on stuff, which is fine because I don't keep up with everything, especially these days, but it's also sometimes not really needed. Um then they're out of it pretty soon and it's all sold up. And I've seen some people last longer than others but then and then there's the new people who get into it and realize you do have to kind of now there are so many people into it it's really hard to score stuff and frustrating and there are some artists you know i've followed and given encouragement to from before they were as popular as they are now and they kind of help you know they help me out i get some you know preferential treatment here and there and people get really bent out of shape about that stuff yeah and there are others who flaunt that and i try not to flaunt that like i don't post stuff online um because i'm going to support it's a thin line to walk like post it online to give the artist some support and say you like something but there's also the fact that it bends people out of shape and people like oh i don't give a fuck about what people think but in reality it there's a lot of like harm from social media and i don't really want to contribute to people's feelings of like anxiety and stuff so
0: coming from like a proto social media atmosphere like a message board and seeing kind of how things have um developed into do you see any difference or do you just see that the format has changed
1: I don't see too much difference. I mean, I shy away from Facebook because of the kind of divisiveness it creates. But just or even before the last few years, um, there's definitely a difference on the message board. It does create more of a community because there's only there people who are there specifically for that. Yes, uh, but those same groups are fostered, especially with like private chats within things like Instagram and stuff. I mean, I love the idea of Instagram because it's just a photo and there's nothing to argue about. But I've seen the argument start on there, too. Yeah. Um, but overall, you can't be a collector of this stuff without being on Instagram now. A lot of the it's been a great vessel for artists to sell their stuff directly from there, basically, which is hey, I'm having a lottery, send it to this email. Yeah. Uh, and Yeah. It's it's opened it up to everyone.
0: Who is doing big things right now in vinyl toys? Um, I guess the uh, in, what do you call them indie vinyl toys, not designer vinyl toys. I mean, it all sounds so corny when you when you try to put a name on it.
1: Well, i have to be careful about saying this because anyone will be like, "Oh, you're just directing people." this. I'm assuming you have over a million listeners. Right? Like, that's what you told me.
0: Yeah, over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's um, Hirota in Japan. His stuff is wonderful, and um, as soon as I first discovered it, the original gorillas he did the, these gorilla toys, which his father actually created, and he reproduced them, and he ha- has his own factory because they would make um, the uh, the food, the plastic food you would see in the windows of uh, you know Japanese oh. restaurants. And they so made they- toys.
0: The people who made the he- same plastic plastic food made vinyl toys
1: well I can only assume that Hiroto had like a punk rock background because he he made that think shit you know the first fight figure for Coco Bat oh cool and he went to them and asked if they could make a toy because that's the story I've heard and like into them and he modeled it on um take shit from or Takeshi but I think all the American hardcore people called him take shit (laughs) so And he took that name and they think has a little glasses like down like this, like uh, take shit war. He then started coming out with toys referencing. I've since realized like old cartoon shows and some vintage Patrick Kaiju, but his quality and his design and sculpting are just superb. And those have really caught on to the point of charging fine art prices for the toys.
0: And it's Gorilla Toys. It's called Gorilla Toys.
1: Oh, I can't give the name. People, if they really want to know, we'll look it up. But anyway, Bravo. uh <laughs> they'll find it. But I'm not gonna I'm gonna let them do that if they're really interested. Cool. But those ones, I mean, actually, people are really gonna find it hard because he really only sells to people who go to his exhibitions, and his exhibitions are only in Japan and China. And um it's just really difficult to get his toys now, but he's he's superlative in what he does, and it makes it tough on us you know if you collected and you can't get them anymore um the quality's there so he's doing he's taking it to a new level and um you know where toys are going for like thousands brand new releases Uh, and there's um still doing great stuff mutant vinyl hardcore um great designs from rich great painting paul kaiju from Mm. southern california Mm-hmm. Releasing lots of cool stuff, less hype than some other brands, but it's nice. I, I kind of like that. Um, Realhead became huge again after a downturn, but don't do the fight figures, they do the bigger adult real head size figures. Uh-huh. Um who else? Uh, Gargamel remained true to their aesthetic. And as we know, Kyoko sculpted a lot of the toys which became popular in the scene for different companies um they've switched to a different model they do shows with one-offs and lucky bags that's it they hardly do any regular releases um i feel bad by saying this if i miss people out i mean there are loads of people doing good stuff um there's someone on the tip of my tongue i mentioned splurt earlier Uh, i mean those are the american ones but there are so many small companies and basically anyone who the Chinese buyers are a new audience from 2015 on. And they've really taken it to a place where the people who collect there have seemingly deep pockets. And they've, in some ways been taken advantage of by people uh, overseas selling them expensive toys, but they've also asked to pay lots of money. And it's very hard to get some toys unless you have like literally 1000s and 1000s of dollars. Uh, And some of the artists are catered directly to that audience, which means it's in a small field where they release 20 toys, then there's now literally a huge pool with people who will pay a lot. So it's harder and harder to get this.
0: That's interesting because toys, it seemed like we have a flood of toys right now. Toys are absolutely in the mainstream. And it's cool to find out that there are designers that actually have retracted um during this time and made them ultra ultra exclusive whereas you go now i mean there's a there's a designer whatever that term means now designer vinyl toy for everything now and they're very readily accessible um and they're not not that interesting
1: that's a big difference here though because those designer vinyl toys are likely made in china and kind of mass produced yes whereas the ones that we at Focusing on in this talk are the ones that are produced in small runs, not just because a small run is attractive, but because a small run is able to be created and hand painted by the artists themselves. Right? They can't doing a hundred of something is too many. Doing fifty is too many. I can't see how they do thirty of them if you know what I mean. Painting the same details on them, right. spraying the same, but they they can manage that. And so the the natural output is throttled by the fact it's one person. And that's so, what
0: attracted me to the that scene to begin with, the kind of small focus and the low run. I mean, some of the stuff back then was, you know, a hundred plus, but it was it was the alternative to the stuff that you could just readily buy at the toy store. And they were hard to get. I mean, this was this was before, I mean, it was early eBay. It was right around the same time that like PayPal just kind of started. So like there oh was Oh my god, Apple.
1: PayPal. R- right? Responsible for many people's collections. <laughs> yeah,
0: but then you you know through Skullbrain I found out about Mandarake and I found out about um, a lot of the different avenues for getting um, proxies. There were some proxies that were, there were some some people overseas that would that would help members of the board acquire certain things, and it, w- it was really attractive to me because it was something that I felt like I was connecting to a scene that was kind of just bubbling and it wasn't, it it was something very unique. And there was this really cool cross-section of like cult movies, like horror movies, punk rock and um, street art, which all kind of meshed into this really cool kind of vision. It it wasn't, right. right?
1: I had the same feeling too. I mean, it was like, Yeah, it was definitely all those things. You always find people to talk to about. Like, I remember talking to one guy and saying, he turned out he's English, turned out he was listening to the Shop Assistants, which I hadn't heard since, you know, 1986. And he's like, oh, yeah, I love the Shop Assistants. And we both used to skateboard, and he used to be a goth before that. And I was like, oh, I I was too. And it was like, okay, we have... And I'm still friends with him, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he started a cool record label, which people have probably heard of. And then that was later. But where else are you going to meet someone like that?
0: Right. And it was this weird kind of bizarre kind of faction of people that were also into toys. You know, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You know, which is even more esoteric when you think about it. Now, you know, people love like Funko Pops, but like, it's that's totally different. And it's going to be hard for people. And it's probably still is. It's hard for people to kind of make that distinction unless... You understand that it's, it's less about appreciation for licensed characters than it is for a designer's touch and a kind of faithful homage to an, an, a, almost like an aesthetic or like a, a vision, right?
1: Yeah, um, and in some ways, it's 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 very equivalent to like the DIY scene. You know, there are people yeah. who. They're not great sculptors, but they come up with something which is appealing and a cool toy and they make it. Now, there used to be a lot of complaints in the early days on Skullbrain about people trying to make their toys, you know. But now so many people do it and there's stuff you don't like and there's some crap out there but also stuff that's appeared that's just kind of pretty awesome by yeah people and so i'd rather have to sort through some of the not so great stuff and to find some good stuff but yeah people are appearing every week especially in hong kong and china these days making toys sculpting them themselves or employing a local guy some great little ideas out there
0: what was the strict adherence to using vinyl as opposed to resin which i saw a lot of people starting to make resin figures for but it almost felt like it was um fake like it was it was like not uh, authentically true to whatever I think, toy making culture was at the time
1: well there was another there was another level of granularity to it. it wasn't just any vinyl it had to be japanese vinyl
0: right there you go right
1: which apparently has additives which are legal elsewhere and there was definitely I think some of it was slightly hype, but there's still something about vinyl poured in Japan and the what for some reason that makes it you can tell it's better. My husband lived with all this stuff and even he could tell a Japanese vinyl versus a Chinese vinyl coin, he wasn't into this at all. Yeah. Um, as far as resin goes, I don't think that was unaccepted. I mean, that's an entry, a gateway for people, because you can do that totally DIY. And it allowed some people to start with resin and, and move on to vinyl when they'd in fact, maybe there were it was better in some ways because they were allowed to hone their skills. Nowadays you'll get people who release a toy. It's their first attempt at sculpting and they'll release that. And it's almost a throwaway amount of effort in a way and expense. Um But yeah, I'm just not a resin fan because of the weight of it. I remember buying a piece by uh, Le who went on to make some great vinyl toys and made great resin toys. I remember carrying it around at Comic-Con. It was such a weight. I was just like, oh, this is weird. It feels like my mother's pottery, you know. (laughs) That's what I felt like. And so, yeah, I didn't get any further resin. Um, But I am not against people, people who start with resin, like Splurt did some resin versions of the Diggler, which were perfectly translated to vinyl. In fact, they used the same mold basically in it. It just looked great.
0: So there is still a scene on Discord, huh? Um,
1: I mean, some of the toy companies are starting Discord message boards, like the Mutant Vinyl Hardcore have one. That's the first time. I'd heard of Discord, but... um, Honestly, I thought it was a record label for straight edge people. Exactly, ah, joke. <laughs> um, but I hadn't been on one. I, I joined that for a little while. I just don't have the time. But uh, it reminds me very much of the excitement of the early days of Skullbrain. But everyone's very much focused on one particular artist. You know, which is—is uh, is there
0: you, a focus now on? There's, is are there? Oh,
1: this this one was specifically for mutant vinyl hardcore and their fans. Got it.
0: It. I don't. So, I, don't um, I haven't. I haven't seen any of the, that of uh, mutant vinyl hardcore stuff. Maybe I have, but you know what? I've kind of been out. Oh.
1: Okay, I'm shocked. Here's one. Here's the latest release.
0: I have seen that. Okay, that's big. I like those big. I like big figures.
1: Yeah, it is big and beautifully painted. Wow. Um. And it comes with four different heads, not this version, but it's got like a rat fin head, a crash test dummy head. Uh, and um, this is old Sparky, Frankenstein influence.
0: Made in Japan?
1: Made in Japan. Oh, great. Poured by um, Dennis from Shirama. Very cool. Uh, who creates the Kumon kind of spider toy. Wow. Um, and um, yeah, the molds are over there, made there sent back here and then rich paints them in connecticut in the old erector toys factory wow. in new haven so well, th- you- there,
0: there is still a scene that's so good to, to hear that it's still kind of going on and maybe it kind of needed to go kind of off the radar a little bit and it sounds like it's kind of back in full force is that was that oh bigger the, bigger
1: was- than, bigger 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 than it ever was was it triggered by um, COVID?
0: Was it triggered by like no
1: no no, it, it already started. Really? It's like t- 2014 at Decon, a bunch of the Japanese guys came over. Uh-huh. Mori from Realhead, um, Takuchi from Skull Toys. Um, I think Wemo was there that year. Uh and they formed this little set of three tables. Oh, Gokodo. Uh-huh. And they were um they formed these three tables called Team Japan and you could walk up all weekend and just buy their stuff and they put new stuff out you could buy it switch forward by three years lines around the the convention to get there um and absolute craziness around it partly because of more fans but partly because of the high resale on their stuff
0: is there still a high resale for real head and whatnot
1: well i won't use the word still it's just certain figures go for just insane amounts. Wow! Like a new release. I don't like saying this because it just stimulates the wrong sort of people. But there's certain ones which just do crazy things in the more in the Asian market because again, it's people with deep pockets who are willing to pay anything to get them. Yeah. And now, I mean, as far as real head releases go, really the only. The only certain place you can get it is from their store in Tokyo and you have to be there in person right and there aren't really many other releases apart from little shows and there hasn't been a haven't been a real head here show for years drives me crazy because I have all those original fight things the hardcore collector there was as far as I know there were four people in the u s when I first started collecting it there was isaac there was brian there was um max toy um and there was, and I was doing it. And then Frank Kozik joined and the prices went up. I and remember now,
0: real head was very hard to come by.
1: Yeah. And now it's even harder than it was back then.
0: I kind of like that, though. I like that it's hard to get these. They should be hard. I mean, if you want to collect toys, you, there's so yeah. many other ones you can get.
1: But if you really want I to can, get these... but what that's done is something different before it meant you had to chase hard and watch the auctions and maybe stay up late to get them now it just means you have to have a big wallet
0: yeah i guess that's that's
1: the the downside because yeah you can get any real head toy you want on Mandarake if you're willing to pay sometimes over two thousand dollars for something released that week
0: and what's retail when he releases them is it a couple hundred bucks
1: no it's less than a hundred
0: that's amazing yeah, I
1: didn't kind of want to say that, but that's the kind of stupidity that's out there. So I don't get it, you know. Um, but they, they did a couple of shows here, like I said at Decon, and um, then there was a another show that was arranged by a collector. But that was crazy. It it was at a little store in Highland, uh, in Eagle Rock, and. There was, this was pre-decon. So some people flew out from Asia before decon just to go and line up at this store. Yeah. And there was like about 700 people in line.
0: Do you think that these go to private collections or are they just flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped?
1: No, based on the numbers you see for sale on the retail market, a lot go to private collections. But there's also a very deep collector's market, so I'm told in China where, you know, once the toys go in, into that market, they have all these kind of different like collecting circles, which go very deep and the toys circulate there and never come back out. Why? What? So, what, what,
0: and this I is don't, the thing I think I, about, I don't. But, but, what, but why not, Not. I don't wanna know the, the logistics of, of, the, of the market over there. I don't really care about that stuff. What I care about is like, why, why do people even care about these low run toys? <laughs> I know why I care because from a design standpoint, they just, they look fantastic and they, they, they spark something within me,
1: but it's more than Okay. I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Great question. What a great question. Now, this doesn't speak for everyone. I'm sure. But there is a substantial contingent who it's based on posting and the visibility. It's like having a Gucci bag or a rare Supreme shirt or something like that. There are certain toy brands which are kind of associated with having a a cool collection or or the fact that those toys are expensive and hard to get. And they are posted for all their worth. I've seen people post, you know, like if I would post a picture, I'll normally do one post with like maybe a few different versions so you can click through. I've seen people post like 15 slightly different pictures of the same toy in a row in their feed. like. what and it's like i've got this i've got this i've got this or they're posting it because there's a lottery hey look at me artists! i collect your stuff and i love your toys post 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 post. Yeah. it's not about there's a i mean we all i guess most people have a level of show off stuff but it's reached a new level now where there's no shame about it. just blatantly saying i paid a lot of money for this toy in my collections yes. awesome check it out and i'm gonna post it till it's until you're vomiting it out of your ears, you know. Yeah. It's a totally different mindset. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I can criticize it, it's just a bit, but it, I do find it annoying.
0: It's just such a phenomenon that these that these designers are coveted in the way that they are. I'm not, not trying to knock it at all. I actually love it, but it just is, is wild to me how high prices are in in the way in in the way that you're not
1: everything some some things are like not hyped, so they're cheap yeah sometimes still hard to get but they're you know not expensive but then anything that's hype just jumps up and some of the certain japanese resale sites help that yeah i mean let me just say that if you watch them religiously you can see i can see something which was purchased the night before. Uh, the net by the next day. When you look at it, it says sold, but they've changed the price on it to make it look like it sold for a lot more. Right, right. So I think is pretty naughty.
0: You hit the nail on the head. It's hype, and and it sounds like yeah. these guys have have crossed over in and they they're being recognized as fine artists, which they should be. It's it's just um, it's it's just very striking that it's so it's been it's gotten so hyper accelerated. I really thought that it was kind of not dead, but just back underground, and it was just for people that really enjoyed it. And the price—I thought—I thought prices had just evened out. But you're telling me you have prices? been I'm gone so,
1: for a while. I have. So, well,
0: I have I'm a so... seven-year-old daughter now. I buy her toys now, <laughs> um, so I'm not paying attention much
1: anymore. But wow, you have a very valid reason. Yeah, they—it's some things, and then there are other things which you and I would collect, which. At the time, I paid like oh, four hundred dollars for that, which was a lot. And now it's, yes. I couldn't sell it for fifty.
0: Right, right.
1: So um, it, it depends what it is. But this some of the stuff will always be cool and keeps on going up. And then other things just get hype and isn't necessarily that great. Yes. Uh, but but jumps up too. I mean, basically, my rule is I only buy things at retail. Mm-hmm. Or I'll buy them on the resale market if it's about the same as retail. Yeah. Or less, you know. That so I'm just I just can't be doing that. So it, it involves and I've I just saw one guy recently who was jumped in hot and heavy and wanted all this stuff and liked it, and then realized that he wasn't winning any lotteries, wasn't getting what he wanted, was having to look at the resale price and then got so upset with it, just cleared everything out from space had been hyped to, you know, three months later, that was it. The yeah. collection was quite large for three months, spent a lot of money and now gone and upset about it.
0: Yeah. That's the thing. Collecting will break your heart like that. People don't really talk about it that much. It's, it's a very stressful endeavor. Collecting anything is very stressful.
1: Yeah. Especially when the supply outstrips, um, you know, the demand outstrips the supply.
0: Yeah. And that's when people, but that's what really gets collectors excited. When things are rare. So it's like this, it's this. Yeah, time.
1: yeah it, it does. But, you know, there was a time when this scene did go down quite a bit. And then there's a, a few people who carried on collecting and buying the stuff. And I guess this will sound entitled, but it would have been really nice if some of the people who are artists and releasing the toys remember that. And that's great. But yeah. there are others like, i spent all this time, I've been buying your stuff since early on, and now I can't get any of it. Right. Um, and I think sometimes I wish there would be a real downturn on it. So then the only people buying it are the people who really like it and it keeps on going. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, they don't remember. Um, and then, you, yeah, you kind of asked out because you don't have the deep pockets. you I know, mean, I, I have deeper pockets than a lot of people, but it's not like huge. It's just because I've got a decent job, but uh, there are people with unlimited funds. It seems,
0: yeah, that kind of spoils things for everybody, doesn't it?
1: I think Nag those Nag toys really started the trend. Unbeknownst, um, we weren't expecting that, but they, they were the first ones to break. Well, they sp- broke the price barriers, didn't they?
0: Yes, with Beeman, right? Was Beeman the first one that kind of seemed like a no,
1: no, it was it was Nag Nag toys that did it. That's the one, yeah, that's the one that like became crazy sought after. And they got a little help in their pricing from certain American entrepreneurs uh-huh. who helped with their pricing. And so it was like, I remember the first time when they said, Oh, these toys are going to be $250. Now the rumors are that I don't know where you even buy them, but the latest on sale um, by a lottery for a 10 is over $2,000. And that's much less than I go on the aftermarket. So it's like, it's crazy.
0: What do you get from your collection?
1: A horrible sense of overwhelmedness and the feeling that I could have spent my money better in my life and could be able to retire.
0: <laughs> oh, come on. Well, you keep going, so, so what is it?
1: What is yeah, that? It's an, it's, a, it's an addiction. It's like vinyl in the arm. Um, it really is. I mean, it is partially that, but I do like, there's the chase, there's the catch. And then it's the release where you put it on your shelf or whatever, but I've run out of space. Yeah. <laughs> um they keep producing great stuff. You know, people there's new stuff that's coming out that's really great. And I buy some things that aren't really great, but um and then I don't sell it and it and I need to kind of move that on if it's not moving me. Uh, but the stuff that moved me originally tends to continue. And then the new things tend to continue. It's a it's very analogous to the music scene There's great stuff from years ago. And then there's stuff which is obviously built on its on the past, but has improved upon it and equally valid. And it's nice to see the evolution and keep on. I guess in some cases, it's less about support. I like supporting certain People, but it's also about just having it in your collection and you know knowing you're in on the ground floor with something new. it's quite exciting to find that
0: there's a lot of people who are being serviced very nicely with a lot of the stuff that's from the licensed category, and there's a lot of people that are doing great stuff, and then there's a lot of just consumerist just mass produced stuff that is just you know kind of trendy um but it is nice to see that there are still the artists that are doing it for the art's sake. And I love the fact that there are people like you who have never stopped and it's inspiring to me to dive back in and check out what's actually been going on. But it sounds like I'm in for a rude awakening in terms of trying to get any of this stuff.
1: No, not any, Um, (laughs) but you know, you, you might see something which you like oh that's so good yeah. and chances are if it's so good it's going to be hard to get yeah harder than it was back then yeah uh and i mean i don't yeah the lotteries work in odd ways which we can't really talk about but um most of the stuff is done through lotteries and um let's I, just say it. it's it's a non-traditional algorithm used for these
0: oh i'm sure i'm sure most of them are rigged they were they i'm sure they've always been rigged who knows but i guess my well, new my new i mantra, never said that <laughs> yes exactly my new my my latest mantra is to be like um be okay with admiring and not needing to own because i'm the type of person that needs to own something if i like it that's kind of my personality and i've kind of been trying to make steps towards just being okay with admiring it and looking at a picture of it instead of having this kind of urge to possess it. Um, but that's something I, I struggle with all the time.
1: I think that's a great way to be. And I haven't got there, um, but I've re- managed to reduce it a little less. I don't have to be, I used to be very much completist, yeah. but the makers solved that by doing so many releases, which were like at a, a pop-up store in Hong Kong only, that unless you were there, and then everyone from, you know, the collectors from China would come over. And so any extras which are scooped up disappeared into that market. So like, yeah, the completism thing disappeared. So it's much nicer to be able to buy the same run of toy and then just buy the, the ones that appeal to you. But it's also a minus in that some makers, you know, will see that, oh, you didn't buy everything. And I feel like, oh, that didn't help my cause to get the next one, if you know what I mean. Just a weird ass scene.
0: Yeah, I guess it's, you know, one of those things like money is not going to go anywhere and money does talk. And unfortunately, that's something that ruins the scene for the collector. But is to the advantage of the seller. So it's just one of these kind of like very toxic cycles that go hand in hand with each other.
1: Sometimes it's to the advantage of the seller, but quite often it's to the advantage of the person who turned it around on the secondary market and not the seller.
0: Yes, but, aren't, but I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's some cases where that is the seller, the original seller too. Who knows? But it just seems like money, like the, the element of mo- you know, people with a lot of money, like that's not gonna go anywhere. So it's just something we have. No, you're right.
1: And even in the early 2000s, I mean, we would look at certain people who were able to buy much more than we were uh, and people would look at me and say, oh, he can do that and I can't afford that. And yeah, that money was it's definitely I mean, this is disposable, non-essential stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's only for people who have that spare income. And uh, yeah, it's pretty stupid in the end of things. But I like to think that what we collect is art and and I think it definitely is. I'm not even fooling myself. Some things are a little less art than others, but um and then sometimes there's something really nice and mass produced, which I want to. Um, but there aren't many of those, but occasionally there are.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. Like I like going back to some of the Super Seven stuff, I like a lot of that stuff. I like um some of the Mayfex like comic book heroes that Medicom does, like those hyper articulated ones. But it's just the rabbit hole that if I get one, I need to have all of them and I don't even want to start. So then I just Just
1: just went down that rabbit hole. I used to collect the Marvel Legends figures and I stopped in about 2009. And during the pandemic, I started again and now I have boxes of them. I get it. They've got no room to display them, but they do such cool characters. And then they do like a build an old figure of something weird, like Zemnu, the Living Titan yes. from Defenders Three in nineteen seventy-two or something. Yes. It's like, oh my god, they made a toy of that. I mean, I just remember that character so much.
0: Yeah, I said it. I said um, on another podcast with another guest that like toys are the new T-shirt there's just like a toy for everything now and it's a way for people to just express themselves whether it be like uh you know a breaking bad figure at their you know in their home office or you know if they're able to go into an office or you know you, you know or like uh you know even he-man i mean he-man's a bad example because he-man's always been around but there's you know toys for bands there's toys for you know just television shows like stranger things and stuff it's just a way for a new way for people to express themselves and their their tastes and their likes
1: literally there's- kind of things i think it's just another um way to monetize the show another possible money stream for things like stranger things yeah like okay gonna have the toy here because that could bring in some revenue yeah but it's oh yeah that
0: but people who aren't toy collectors see that at target and they're like oh i love stranger things or oh i love oh uh, yeah you know uh you know chucky or alien or whatever you know whatever licensed toy they have on the on the shelf over uh, at Target, and they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna put this on my desk." And like, they're not really collectors, but it's a way for them to express themselves. It's kind of—it's kind of gotten mainstream in a way.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I used to have like these sideshow figures of the Spinal Tap guys in my office when I worked for Universal. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> that was the last time I had an office, by the way. I've never had an office since then.
0: I know. Did you hear me stumble? I'm like, home office, and I'm like, well, wait, people aren't back at people aren't back at the office yet, you know, but you get my point that people, it's a way for people to express themselves in the same way that, you know, if you're wearing a Black Sabbath Supreme shirt, you're able to, people, you know, you're, you're kind of queuing people to-
1: Big mistake. I got this for $1, by the way, no kidding. Nice. <laughs> $1. Yeah. Um, It was too big, but now it fits. That's weird, either I grew or it shrank. Mm. <laughs> yeah, i I like, I've met some good friends through T-shirts like wearing band t-shirts or seeing them in a band t-shirt yeah pretty cool
0: it used to be a way of of signaling to other people or it used to be a way of communication where you know it kind of pointed out that you're in the know but it's kind of just because of the whole market of and this is a whole other topic of conversation the whole market of vintage band t-shirts have exploded in a way that you have people wearing them as a fashion statement rather than being a fan of the band so that's kind yeah, of like, I can't tell anymore.
1: Super weird. I posted up some old photos from like about 1990 and I put them up on Instagram and wearing a ride t-shirt in one photo and no an lemon hats t-shirt in another. And I got quite a few people, strangers contact me, asking me if I still had them and would I sell them. Right. And... Um, but I've, there are ways to get, like, ripoff vintage T-shirts for pretty cheap. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm happy with those, but I have a bunch of the old ones as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right, Carl. So, well, first of all, uh, thank you for um, agreeing to this. Condolences on your loss. That's very tragic. and thank you. Goes I appreciate out. that.
1: Thank you for making Thanks. the time. I
0: know it's a time of mourning for you. So thank you for making the time to to come on and guest on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're welcome. This has actually been one of the funnest chats I've had in a while. Oh good. It's, um, yeah, no, it was it was really fun.